0: Son of Man comes will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. I invite you again to have your scripture open to Colossians chapter 2, the first five verses. This paragraph, in many ways, is a transition verse. It's, it's like a coupler. It uh, couples together. Um, you need to take care of that, please? Okay. Let's just bow for prayer for a second, shall we? Father, you're the God of all mercy, the God of all healing, the God of all wisdom. We pray for the work of your Holy Spirit in our midst even now. Aware of a great need, a particular need, we ask for the health, the wholeness, the healing that is needed in these coming moments. Father, praying that your perfect will would bring you the glory as you rectify and solve this situation. Father, give us hearts of compassion, understanding. Let us never leave these moments of prayer, even though we pray in Jesus' name for these moments. Amen. Amen. Thank you. things we need in life is encouragement you never know when you get up in the morning when why or where you're going to need it but a moment comes to every life out of the blue you need encouragement you need brothers and sisters in Christ who'll surround you and bring all the wisdom and the knowledge and the skills God has given them to your life and to be appreciative of that amen We praise God. Okay. I was saying a moment ago that this passage, uh, this paragraph of Scripture, is uh, sort of a coupling paragraph. It, it ties into chapter one, pulling out of that, uh, where Paul says that he rejoices in his sufferings uh, for the sake of the church, for the sake of building up the body. Here he says, I want to know what great agony I have, what great struggle I have, that those who are reading this, the Christian believers in Laodicea, in fact, all believers who may have never seen Paul face to face yet, that they would be, what does he say in verse 2, that they would be encouraged. And then he goes on to talk about some of the elements of encouragement, and those themes will be picked up in the rest of chapter 2, indeed, in the rest of the letter. So um, we'll be looking at those in, in subsequent weeks. But for this morning, I want for us to look at this passage of Scripture and take uh, primarily what Paul says is his purpose in writing at the moment. He says in verse 1, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. Laodicea, by the way, was the church just about 10 miles downriver from Colossae. Um, we would suspect that the Laodicean Christians were much like the Colossian Christians uh, in, in that uh, Paul sort of mentions them together in this passage of Scripture. Uh, do you remember that in the book of Revelation, the church at Laodicea was that church that Jesus talked to, talked about at the end of of, of chapter 3 in, in the book of Revelation. And he said, look, I, I know your reputation. I know you think you're rich. I know you think you're really well off, and in point of fact, you're not. And then Jesus says this. He says, here's what really ticks me off about you people. Okay, that's a free translation, but it's there. He says, you know, I, I know your reputation and, and, and all that that's going on in, in you folks in the church at Laodicea, but here's what really ticks me off. You are lukewarm. You I can't get anything out of you. You're not cold. You're not hot. You're just blah, just there. Have you ever reached a spot in your life where you were just sort of blah about the things of Christ? Not by design, not because you thought it'd be a great thing, but you just sort of slipped away and you wound up in, in living in, in, in sort of an attitude that, well, ho-hum, maybe I'll go to church, maybe I won't, maybe I'll read the Bible, maybe I won't, maybe I'll pray, maybe I won't. And you sort of reach that lukewarm, ho-hum kind of thing. At that very moment, what you needed was someone to come to you and say, here's what Jesus says about that. It ticks me off when you're lukewarm. I'd rather spit you out of my mouth than have to put up with that. But then Jesus says this. It's in the letter in Revelation. He says, but look, I'm standing at the door knocking. I'm standing at the door knocking anyway. And if you open the door, you hear my voice, you open the door, I'll come in. He says, I'll come in. We'll do lunch. We'll fellowship. And that'll take care of the problem. See, this church at Laodicea evidently already needed some kind of encouragement to move out of a ho-hum sort of life of faith and into a vibrant life of faith, a, a, a life that was really uh, moving towards Christ and, and exalting Christ. So that's what we pick up from that word Laodicea, that already there was a need there. But he says, I, I, I want you to know the struggle I have, the, the Greek word there is agony. Uh, I want you to know the agony I'm having uh, for you. And for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen my face, and then he says this in verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged. That their hearts may be encouraged. You know, and discouragement comes to us in a lot of ways. Uh, and I'm talking primarily, you know, discouragement in our spiritual lives, but to our lives, discouragement comes in a lot of ways. It, it comes to us in the body. Um, you, know, you know, have you ever been looking in the mirror in the privacy of your home if you get my drift <laughs> and you're looking at it and you're saying I don't think so I just don't think so you know, according to the culture, t- according to our world you're either too fat or you're too thin and if you weigh the right amount it's in the wrong places you know, but suppose you're just that one person in a million million who, who just happens to be the right weight, the right height, the right looks, and it's all in the right place, and you're looking at yourself, as yes, I do, and, <laughs> and you're, saying to, you know, you're looking at yourself and saying, you know, man, that's good stuff, you know, but I find it very discouraging because now I have to go out and hire bodyguards from all those people who want to assassinate me for my, my life. <laughs> By the way, you do know that a mirror is backwards, you do know that? If you look in the mirror and you say, I don't like what I see, that's backwards. Because you ought to look at that mirror and say, look at that. I'm being conformed to the image of God's dear son. Look at this body. God created me, you know. And yeah, it's a fallen world. And yeah, there's, there's, there's things about my health that, that I'd like to change. Yeah, there, there's, there's challenges that I have. And yeah, you know, as you get older, certain things happen that you never thought would happen. You know, and you stop, well, okay. But, uh, uh, you know, but I'm being conformed to the image of God's dear Son. What I see in the mirror is the before picture. Wait until you see the after picture. Because when God gets through with us, we will be in the eternal... Courts of glory, and we will be magnifying him because in us will be this the, the image and will be seen the image of God's dear son in us. That's who we are. And even in the flesh, you look you look at the body and you wonder, Well, what's going on here? Yet Christ will be honored, exalted, and glorified. I find that encouraging. You know, sometimes the body is discouraging because we get sick. And sometimes that illness and that debility and that weakness. It's an ongoing thing. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that the doctors, they, they don't know what to do with it, and they don't know what to do about it. So they've created this wonderful word. They say, you have an idiopathic condition. I love that word. I, th- I thought it was great. Looked it up. Idiopathic. When a doctor says, you have an idiopathic condition, here's what they mean. I have no idea what's wrong with you, and I have no idea how to fix it, but if I can say it in pseudo-Latin, you'll be impressed. <laughs> But God heals the body. You know, it may be on this side of the grave. It may be on the other. But when we stand before God, there's no aches and there's no pains and there's no debility. Death does not have the last word in our lives. You might be discouraged. You, you might, you know, look at that and say, well, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know how, what's going to happen. Why can't I feel better? Why can't I do what other people? You know, you may say all of those things, but here's the deal. Jesus Christ is the great physician of body and soul, and when he comes again, he calls forth from the grave those believers, and the body is raised up, a new creation, a resurrection body. I find that encouraging. Discouragement comes to us um, in, in the body. comes to us in, in our minds. Um, you know, some of it is we just look at things, we think about it, and, and we get discouraged. I don't know about you, but uh, if, if you know anything about the way the world is going today, you're thinking to yourself, how much longer can this go on? How much longer can the human race keep spiraling into immorality while all the while celebrating it as diversity? How long can the human race keep abusing one another and and, uh, causing pain to one another and fighting with one another, all the while claiming it's in the name of liberation and freedom? How much longer can the human race keep spiraling downward and downward and downward? And you look at the course of history, and you start to think, I don't know what's going to happen here. You look at the Middle East, and that is only the symptom. That is not the whole thing. That is just the barest, smallest part of the evil that inhabits the human heart. And you look at it, and you start to pray. You know, kind of like the way we used to pray in high school right before final exams. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Well, we start to wonder, Lord, how much longer can you delay? And then we realize, you know, for the last 2,000 years, people have been looking at the world and saying, how much longer, how much longer, how much longer? But here's the deal. Jesus is coming again. The day will come when every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, even those who rebelled against him, even those who sought to kill him, even those who seek to eliminate him from the human uh, society today, every eye will see him, and when we do, we'll fall to our knees. And every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. When Jesus returns, there will be a kingdom with perfect righteousness, a kingdom with absolutely perfect justice, with a perfect society, with a perfect expression of what God designed us to be all along. That day is coming, and that is where we are headed because of Jesus Christ. Oh, it's easy to get discouraged. I'm going to tell you it's easy to get discouraged. You look at the world, you don't understand it. You don't even have to look at the world. Just look at Wall Street. How many people are happy you just lost 1,000 points on the Dow? Admit it. I didn't look at that, and I said, praise God, he's in control. Glory to God, he's taken away all that stuff that's hanging around my neck. You know what I said? I'm going to have to work until I'm 80 before I can retire. <laughs> Let me tell you this. Jesus Christ is Lord of the stock market. Amen. Your life doesn't depend on the Dow. Your life doesn't depend on some human investments. You know, some people say, well, Social Security won't be there when I get it. It'll be there. Trust me, it'll be there. You just won't get any. But, <laughs> but it'll be there. You, know, you say, "Oh, I'm so, you, know, you don't need to worry about that. Don't be discouraged about that because Jesus Christ is Lord and he's returning. And until then, we, we just hang on and we look to him and we are encouraged by Jesus Christ. You know, in the mind, it's easy to be discouraged. Sometimes it's because we have questions. You know, real questions, hard questions to answer. You know, why am I suffering the way I do? What, how can I know God is real in my life? How can I know the Bible is the Word of God? You know, those kinds of questions. Let me tell you, I've been spending my whole life on those questions, and there are good answers for every one of them. But I understand having doubts and questions. Jesus Christ is the answer for every question you ever had. Jesus Christ is the answer for every confusion you've ever had. You want to know, you know, how can I know there is a God? Just look to Jesus Christ, and there you see mercy magnified. There you see grace outpoured. There you see the love of the Father that is not conditioned upon our performance, but it simply comes out of the, the, the depth and the wisdom and the counsel of God's love for a lost humanity. Just look to Jesus Christ. There you will find the answer. All questions find their answers in Jesus Christ, who is the truth and the way and the life. It's easy to be discouraged because we have doubts, but when you come to Jesus Christ and your eyes are focused upon him, that encouragement comes to us. It's easy to be discouraged in the heart. It's easy to be discouraged when you're thinking to yourself and saying things like, why doesn't anybody love me? Oh, I know mom and dad love me, but they have to. No, we didn't. We just did. (laughs) But why won't somebody love me and want me? Am I going to be lonely my whole life? And it's easy to become despondent and discouraged. Jesus Christ is the love of God. God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And yes, the, the, the emotions of the human heart and the needs of the human heart are, are such that we struggle with these things, but ultimately we know the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's still struggling, but we are encouraged when we set our eyes upon Christ and we realize that the most important thing is not that I have a relationship with somebody else, it is that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's easy to be discouraged in matters of the heart. And here I'm, I'm thinking about matters of, of, of emotion and, and, and depression and things of, of that nature. Uh, if you've ever suffered with depression, you know what we're talking about. You're sad and, and you don't even know why you're sad. And the fact that you're sad makes you sadder, and it's just a spiraling downward, and there's a darkness and a weight and a depression that comes upon you. And in in those depressive moments, you just say, I don't know uh, know, how I'm going to keep on going like this. Is is this what I'm going to feel for the rest of my life? Yeah, it's dark. It's dark during the night. But joy comes in the morning. Jesus Christ comes to us, and he brings the joy of our salvation to us constantly. Yeah, we'll we'll keep struggling with these things. Yeah, you know, the biochemistry of the brain, all that. I I understand that. But ultimately, Jesus Christ is our hope, and he is a sure hope for us. And so even in the midst of those down times, those depression times, we fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ, and that is our encouragement. It's easy to be discouraged in matters of the heart when it's matters of grief and sorrow and someone has been taken from you, and there's a hole there, and it'll never be filled. But death is not the last word. And in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, we know that those whom we love in Christ, we see them again. And we are encouraged. Yeah, we struggle, and yeah, we keep walking the journey, and yeah, yeah, we keep feeling these things. But in Jesus Christ, we have that encouragement. Does anybody see a pattern developing yet? It's easy to be discouraged because of matters of the, of the hands and what we do, because sometimes what discourages us is this constant battle with sin. You know what it's like. You come up and you need to make a decision. You know, well, here's the right thing to do. It is to tell the truth. It is to take the consequences. It is to be responsible for my actions. It is to, to work through the problem. Or what I can do is just sort of slither away and nobody will know. It's sort of like when you hit that car last week in the parking lot, and you got out and you wrote a little note, and you put it under the windshield wiper of the other car. And the note said, everybody thinks I'm putting my name and address, but I'm not why does he know about these things see you're asking that did he do that or did it happen to him but you've got the the opportunity you can do the right thing or you can just sort of slither into the wrong thing and we take the path of least resistance and it just amazes us how quickly we do that that's awfully depressing because it's in, 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 in matters that are awfully important where we have a chance to say the loving word, the kind word, the forgiving word. We say the harsh word, we give the snap answer that hurts the feelings. We try to win out in the argument rather than seeking the love and the compassion and, 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 and the relationship that, that needs to be there. And it's awfully discouraging when we find our sin coming back again and again and again, and we keep struggling with the old sin nature, and, and some sins, you know, they come to us over and over again, what the Bible calls a, a besetting sin. But here's the deal. Jesus says, If you confess your sins, I'm faithful and I am just to forgive your sins. I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now look, that verse, there's no asterisk next to it. There's no asterisk that says you get one bite at the apple. You get one shot at it. If you sin, the first time I'll let you confess it and forgive you. But if you do it again, I'm fed up with you now. No, he says, if you confess your sin, there's no time frame on it. There's no limit on that. If you come to Christ confessing your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, we're discouraged by the the, the besetting sin, the, the temptation that comes again, the desires, the thoughts that come into our heads unbidden. Yes, we are discouraged by that, but we are encouraged by the promises of God in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is the answer for our discouragement. And so when Paul says, I want to encourage you, I'm, I'm writing to you that their hearts may be encouraged so that you can be encouraged, he's saying, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm encouraging you towards Jesus Christ. Now, that's why he spent so much time in chapter 1 talking about who Jesus is. had the three big ideas. You haven't memorized yet. You know, maybe you're starting to get the feeling that, that this is significant. Three big ideas about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. I want to encourage you to Jesus Christ, to just point you to Jesus Christ, where you see the image of the invisible God. You say, well, I don't know. How, how do you know God? How do you understand God? How do you, how do you realize the, the, that God is at work in your life? How do you g- come to know God? In Jesus Christ you see him. The image of the invisible God is Jesus Christ. This isn't just a theological concept to keep folks busy in graduate school. This is the heart of our faith that in Jesus Christ, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. All the fullness of God dwelling in him. As I'll say a little bit later in, in chapter two, the fullness of deity dwelling in the body of Jesus Christ. He's the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation, He is the one to whom everything in the universe is pointing whatever you see in the universe, whatever truth you see in the universe, whatever beauty you see in the universe, whatever design and and structure you see in the universe, all the wonders of the universe, the entirety of the universe, pointing us to Jesus Christ because he is the firstborn. He is the one who has all the rights in the universe. That means your world, the universe in which you live, belongs to Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I want to point you to him. I want to encourage their hearts to come to Jesus Christ, who is the firstborn of all creation, and he is the head of the body, the church. You understand what that means? That means that when we gather together, we're not here just to have a good-time show, although it's a good time. (laughs) But we're not here just, just, just for entertainment value or just to feel better about ourselves, see a couple of friends, you know, maybe teach the children to be nice. We are here to worship Almighty God in Jesus Christ. We are here to glorify the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, He is the head of the body, the head of the church. And that has to do with our purpose. It has to do with our definition. That has to do with, with our worship. It has to do with our governance. It has to do with our missions and our ministry. It has to do with everything about the church. And so Paul says, I want to encourage you by pointing you to Jesus Christ. The church might be discouraging to you sometimes. Look to the head. Look to Jesus Christ, and you'll be encouraged in that. So those two things, really. Paul is is saying, "I'm, I'm doing all this to encourage you away from those things that cause discouragement and to encourage you towards Jesus Christ. That's... That's basically what's going on here. So let's read it together, because he he gives us a couple of insights also on how this uh, encouragement works. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. You know, if I were the adversary, and I'm not, despite rumors you may have heard, But if I were the adversary, one of the first things I would do to discourage a believer is separate him or separate her from the body of Christ. I would just try to convince a believer, you know, you don't really need that church thing. You can worship just as well, all by yourself. You can go to the park, sit on the bench, see the beauty of the park, look at the wonder of the squirrels, see their fleas, hope you don't get bubonic plague. I'm sorry. I, I, that was discouraging. <laughs> you know, but you can go to the park and you can worship God all by yourself, surrounded by the beauty of nature. That's what I would tell you, folks. You can worship God going and sitting in the beauty of the park. <laughs> you won't, but you can. But I would try to separate you from the people of God. Paul says, I want to encourage you being knitted together in love, having your lives joined together in love. You know, just understanding that God places us in the uh, body of Christ and, and gives us a place and gives us a, 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 a way to serve and a way to worship together so we can encourage one another and strengthen one another. You know, one of the things that happens when we worship together is we are encouraged. You ever been in a worship service and you're hearing the Word of God and you're hearing the hymns and you're just thinking to yourself, man, this is clicking. And that was happening to me today, really. I mean, it, I can't tell you the, the number of songs. If, if I could remember all of them, I'd tell you specifically, but, but two in particular, you know, we believe, yes, we do. <laughs> when Christ comes again, <laughs> we believe. You know, and abide with me. Man, what a prayer meeting that was. Abide with me. But as we come together, you know, it all comes real. And uh, you know why, why that happens? It's not just an emotional thing. Here's what's happening. Wherever two or three gather, there Christ is in the midst of them. He's in our hearts all the time, but when we gather together for worship, there's a peculiar reality of the presence of Christ in our midst. I think what happens when we worship, and we worship in spirit and truth, we give glory to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. As we are worshiping, then that prayer is answered that Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, and for a few moments in this little place among this little people... The kingdom of God rules, and for just a few moments, you get a sense of what it's going to be like for eternity. That's what happens when we worship together. Paul says, I want to encourage you to do that kind of thing, to be knitted together so that, 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 that your lives are, are, are just being uh, worked together and living together and operating together in love. You ever wonder why uh, Jesus spent so much time talking about forgiveness? so we could be knitted together, you know, in the body of Christ, you know. Maybe, maybe I've, I've, I've offended somebody. How glorious it is to know I'll be forgiven. Now, don't presume upon that. You know, don't act like you can get away with things. You know, go up to somebody, hey, how you doing? You've got to forgive me. You know what they're going to say back, and you've got to forgive me. You know what you got then? Let's forgive each other. Come on. <laughs> But how glorious when you know we've said that word that shouldn't have been spoken. We know it. We ask forgiveness even before we ask that brother, that sister. in Christ says, "You know, I I understand that. I understand how sometimes the, the mouth is operating faster than the brain. Uh, you know, in those I, I I get that. I forgive that. I've been there myself." The reason for that, that dynamic of forgiveness in the body of Christ is so that we can be together, knitted together as one, encouraging one another that God would be glorified by the body of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, I, I, I want their hearts to be encouraged by being knitted together, knitted together. Um, one, the first thing. Then he goes on and says this. By the way, this, this, uh, this passage, this verse, this particular verse, Admits a couple of uh, ways of translating that the the, uh, the meaning isn't greatly altered, but there's some textual things going on. I give that to you just to let you know I read up on. It. Actually, the reason I told you that is because as I'm reading this and then I'm reading the Greek text, I'm trying to match the two together, and uh, I just lost you, didn't I? Okay. Anyway, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach. All the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Now, this this is sort of an interesting way this this works. Look look how this works. I I want you to reach to the riches of full assurance. Add to that understanding. Add to that knowledge. And what is it we understand and we know? A mystery. But we know that mystery because who is the mystery? tells us. Paul, earlier on, he did talk about the mystery of God. And that mystery is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, that, that's what we know. And Paul says, I want you to have the riches of assurance. I want you to have the riches of certainty about what God has done in your life. And I want you to live with that kind of confidence and that kind of joy and that, and that kind of empowering, encouraging, Work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So he says, I want you to know the riches of the assurance of the understanding, thinking it through. You know, one of the reasons we read the Bible is to reshape the mind. So we start to think in biblical categories, we start to think about things with a biblical vocabulary and biblical concepts. I mean, that, that, that's what's going on when we learn the Scriptures, not just to learn a, a bunch of amazing facts. It, it is to have our minds transformed, a renewing of the mind by the, by the power of God's Holy Spirit, working through the Scriptures. So he says, I'm praying that you'll have that kind of full assurance of understanding and knowledge, because this thing is too big for any of us. But how encouraging when we know that the mystery isn't something we figure out, it is someone we know. And that's encouraging. That that is encouraging. So he says, that's how I want to encourage you, that you knit together in love, that you have a a reaching of the riches of full assurance and understanding, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Um, We sort of dealt with that earlier on in chapter 1. I I don't want to deal with it now. It'll come up again in several places in chapter 2. We'll be looking at that. He says, I say this in order that... um, It's always a great thing when you're reading a scripture and it says, here's why I just told you what I told you, because you you sort of test yourself. Did I get this right? He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, with uh, high-sounding words, with with persuasive words is another way to translate it. He says, I'm telling you this so that you won't be suckered in by what sounds like a plausible argument, a plausible idea, but in reality is not. You know, our world is filled with plausible arguments, you yeah. know, and, and, and our, our society is just accepting them like crazy and, and not even thinking them through, yeah. Things like, doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, Debbie and I were traveling out western part of Virginia, and we knew the road to take, but our little GPS, Miss Garman, she said, take this road. We said, man, she sounds sincere. Let's, let's do that. Okay. So we started following this road, and, and we said, this must be a shortcut because we're going up and down. And, you know, and, I, and, and, and we looked at it and we said, you know, we're going to be at our destination in five minutes. And we would have, except that the road was flooded out by the Shenandoah River. Now, Miss Garmin should have known that because there was a sign there that says road floods. Sure enough it had. He we said, Well, let's let her take us home. You know, I, sh- I should be honest about it. <laughs> Debbie said, let's go back the way we came. I said, no, let's follow Garmin. She'll get us home. <laughs> she took us places you could not get satellite reception. <laughs> there was this little bald-headed kid playing the banjo. I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, th- this was terrible. We were sincere and we were sincerely wrong. We were sincerely lost. But it, it, it sounds so great. It sounds so great. You know? Doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere. Doesn't matter what you do. You can do whatever you want, as long as nobody gets hurt. How many people do you know who have the wisdom of the ages enough to know if anybody's getting hurt? You're getting hurt. The ramifications of your actions are gonna hurt others? On and on it goes. You know what you do when when you have that philosophy, doesn't matter what you do as long as nobody gets hurt. If you see somebody getting hurt, you say, Well, they don't matter. They're not human yet. You see how it works. But these are the plausible arguments. They, they just sound so good, and our culture is filled with them, and they come to us through the media and across the airwaves. And you hear it so often, and the adversary knows that if he doesn't get us, he might get our children because they're being exposed to it at, at, at such an early age. And, and, folks, as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to give our children Jesus. We need to give them the truth of God's Word so they can tell the difference between the idiocy of the world and the truth of God's Word. But he says, I'm, I'm telling you this so you won't be led astray by these Arguments, they seem plausible and persuasive until you put them next to the truth of Jesus Christ, and then they just fall apart. So he says, I'm, I'm telling you, this This is why we've been talking about Jesus for these last three months. Well, we talk about him all the time, but in chapter 1, of the lesson. So that no one can delude you with these plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in the body, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see two things your good order, and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He says, I, I, I rejoice to see um, that word good order is a word that uh, uh, it, it means to, to set soldiers in position to fight the battle and accomplish uh, what needs to be done to win the victory. Uh, that's that's the, f- the first meaning. has other meanings as well. He says, but I, I, I see that you're where God wants you to be, and I see that you're firm in your faith in Jesus Christ. And that's where I want to bring us this morning. You see, the answer for discouragement is Jesus Christ. And the way our lives are connected to Jesus is by faith. It's the grace of God appropriated by faith. And if you're living sort of a life of discouragement, there, there's areas of your life and you're saying, wow, that, you know, that, maybe you haven't used the word discouraged, but that's really what you are, you're disheartened, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And just look at him. Keep him in focus. Understand that your life is the before picture. Look at the after picture of what God is going to do in your life. Eyes on Christ, and that's how we're encouraged. All right? Let's pray together. And Father, I do ask that in these next few moments, your Holy Spirit would be poured out upon us. Father, that uh, the one who is here and does not know Christ that your Holy Spirit would bring about a conviction and a conversion and then a confession that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. Father, I pray for the brother and sister uh, in Christ here this morning who is experiencing discouragement and who has come upon a season of of being disheartened. I pray that Christ would be made ever more real, that those of us who, who walk the journey together would just show Jesus to one another and that in seeing him, seeing his majesty and his glory, we would be encouraged to walk the life of faith. Father, I thank and praise you for what you have done. I thank you for what you're about to do in our our midst. And I ask it all in Jesus' name, Amen. amen.